Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Easter Sunday, April 17th, hippity hop. And I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? The sniffles are back, so I know it's spring season. So the conscious <laughs> effort today is to avoid doing too many of those oh, no. on live air. Uh, other than that, been enjoying the Easter time off. I was saying to you, first time in a while that I've had more days off than on between now and our last pod. And that feels necessarily good because the time is still just flying by, which tells me I'm really lacking in some sort of leisure. Yeah, we are, we are very near uh, the lovely, lovely weather that follows all the rain and actually got a bit of snow over the weekend here. Um, and, and things will start opening up again. Less sports to talk about. We'll see where this podcast goes. It's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of an adventure as we <laughs> try to to poke through and, and figure out stuff to talk about over that stretch. But for now, we are more than satiated with the NBA playoffs, the end of the NHL season, uh, and so much more in the sports world that really this weekend you had to tap in to the game one of all of these series, some really great basketball games and some really exciting results. And that's really what this one's going to focus on mostly is uh, I know Max watched more this weekend than I did. I think it'd be fair if we had some game one overreactions as well as some game one takeaways that we really dig into and discuss. Um, I don't know, Max, if you want to talk about more about your weekend, but we can maybe just talk a little bit of hockey before we jump into the basketball here because uh, the Leafs continue their winning ways and pick up four more points against Washington. And then last night against the Senators, they are currently playing the New York Islanders as we speak. But no goals for Matthews, but wins for the Leafs. So you take it. And really my only takeaway was the Leafs love turning it up against good teams. And then they got mucked up yesterday by the Senators and uh, barely snuck away with them. Stutzel had a goal called back. Uh, and and then Mark Giordano, the hero, an unlikely hero. We've had Labushkin and Giordano score in the last two games since our podcast. So I think that's firsts for both of them as Leafs, which is pretty cool to see. Nice to have them contribute. And really the, the big takeaway I had was for Ottawa Senators fans, if there are any listening, Tim Stutzel is walking a very fine line. And personally... I don't have a ton of problems with guys embellishing or um, when they get hurt, <laughs> trying to win that extra call for your team and then hopping back on the ice. We saw Gallagher's comments last week about Stutzel. It does feel like he, he uh, emphasizes some of the contact that happens. The one in particular with William Nylander, uh, he grabs a hold of his arm and then flops backward like a NBA player or a soccer player. You don't see a lot of it in hockey. And as a Leafs fan, I draw eerily similar conclusions here to a Nazem Kadri, where for a long time, Kadri was one of the best in the league at drawing penalties, using a little bit of flavor, a little bit of spice to add to infractions, but making sure they were noticed. And then sometimes drawing a couple that don't normally get called. 
And it got to a point where everyone in the league caught on and then he got no more calls because even if it was an infraction, the NHL refs love to be very specific about how they call penalties. And so if they're looking at Kadri and saying, well, this guy is known for embellishment, then it can't be that bad play on. I say this because Stutzel is entering that territory again. I have no problem really with it. Um, and he's a fantastic player. He was excellent last night. And I just worry for sense fan that he's going to enter that territory where he starts getting hit, getting hurt, getting pounded by bigger players and all those stick infractions. And he's not going to get the calls and it's going to drive them up the wall, but it's only because he's setting this precedent now that he does embellish and it's going to come back to bite him in the future. The league shouldn't be like that, but it is. And so a fair word of warning there to uh, Ottawa fans. I will say, as a hockey fan, my thinking almost mirrors the ref's thinking in this area, where when you're watching the big overhead angle real-time game, you see the contact, you see the player go flying, you think it's a bad penalty. And then when you see that in slow-mo and see the embellishment, you're almost a little because there's so little of that in hockey, you assume that the flying and the contact are so connected in a way that when I see that in basketball, my radar for embellishment was ticking from the moment of contact. So I'm a lot more aware of whether it was an embellished flop or not. Whereas in hockey, it feels gross when you get it wrong and you do get it wrong frequently when there is the flop because you're not expecting it. So once you are trained on that and tracking it, it is, you're just more skeptical of it. And I don't hate that fact because I do really hate embellishment and flopping in the sport. The one place I'll break up your Kadri Stutzla parallel is I think if you look at when Kadri was entering the Leafs, cracking the top six and consistently doing it was something he had to add things into his game to do he had to go back to the marlies to work on his um, offensive skills and just his defensive chops to be at nhl level he had to fight for ice time against scores like a kessel a lupel a jvr all guys who are a lot more proven in the nhl and the team that was trying to get on his feet whereas stutzla the senator's know he can develop into that top line like 40 goal scoring type player and that's a lot more of a straightforward path for a guy like Stutzla and the space is there on the roster so I think he needs to there isn't that added pressure on him to focus on incorporating reasons to give him more minutes more ice time in his game the way I think those conditions existed for Kadri so maybe that'll help him keep a little cooler head but who knows yeah, uh, it could also just encourage him to do more of those things because he's never been inhibited from that style of play. And there's no potential consequences from his actions on the team side. He's still going to be their golden boy. So interesting to see how that goes. Speaking of Kadri, uh, looking forward to seeing what he does this time around for the Avalanche. Uh, hopefully no suspensions for him as we get nearer to playoff time. Only dream. <laughs> all right quick hockey talk there but we are into the podcast uh the, the main discussion here game one of each nba game will be complete by the time you hear this pod 
we are going to miss out on Phoenix, New Orleans tonight, but uh, Milwaukee and Chicago in the third quarter as we speak. And Max, we'll go in a chronological order here by timeline. Um, I can either read off all of my headlines at once here, or we can go one by one, but I know you saw more of it than me. So really, I'll leave it to you to, to kind of guide us here where you want to go with these games. All right. Um, I'll give some quick headlines. You can fill your thoughts and then I'll fill the rest in. So our first game kicking off Saturday afternoon was the Jazz and the Mavericks, a defensive slugfest, a final score of 99 to 93 for the Jazz. And on through half, you kind of had the sense we weren't getting into triple digits, but I wasn't even sure we were getting into the 90s the way this game went. Um the big picture for Mio was a talented offensive team that played sloppy non-playoff basketball versus a team with limited offensive capabilities that really did their best defensively, really locked in, but just didn't have the depth, the secondary scoring, or the clutch moments to pull out a game that was within their grasp, and maybe it shouldn't have been without that sloppiness. Yeah, this Dallas team is an upper half defensive team and has been all season. They really went all in by shipping Porzingis out the door to not having that one guy that you can really attack at any time. And Luka Doncic, just going to say it, is probably the worst defender on that floor at any given time for the Mavericks. And so you take him out of the equation, and they're a really solid defensive team, one through five which means that Utah is going to struggle to score when one of their players in Rudy Gobert is not an offensive engine. So it is playing almost a little bit of difficult basketball when you're going up against a team that's really dialed in defensively. What that means for Dallas, though, is Luka has the highest usage rating in the league. He runs their entire offense, and so, of course, they're going to struggle. I loved what I saw from Jalen Brunson. He's going to have to be big in the remainder of this series, hopefully if Luca's back. Um, but that is really what you had as a team that dialed in defensively and couldn't have the same level of creation. And we dialed it back 20 years to the playoffs in the 90s. And that's that's kind of the scoreline that we saw. Um, Gobert really allowed to be free and kind of the best version of himself in terms of his defensive prowess, uh, not getting hung out too much to dry in isolations or having to close out on guys in the corner just because Doncic makes those passes better than almost anyone else in the game. And so a great performance by Gobert, really dominating the paint both ends uh, for Utah. And you can see the fractures in this Jazz team, but winning always solves everything. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens there. Yeah, yeah. Um... Brunson fantastic I thought as you said really I love that like fundamental post play he does uh, did his best to step up the playmaking in Luca's absence Dinwiddie doing more or less exactly what you could ask from him as a Mavs fan when they acquired him nothing more for sure but it kind of fell off after there and just not enough offensively there's no stat to track what Gobert does I guess you could look at a team's like points in the restricted area and in the paint on average on the season and then in games versus the Jazz, but just 
so many balls that he doesn't get a touch on but like nothing will go down but he just affects so many shots or makes the team work so much harder for it um offensively for the jazz like you said i think a lot of fractures showing donovan mitchell a really quiet rough first half uh, tough makeable layer layups floaters just weren't falling for him forcing some threes that weren't going as well Boyan Bogdanovich really kept the jazz in in the first half he was sensational with just taking the right shot the right making the most of the matchups in the paint the post moves uh, the perimeter movement for him helped a jazz team that really struggled with a three-point outside of that but second half Mitchell just got it together the confidence went up on the first second make I think it was a mid-range shot he created an empty space and then those tough runners and floaters started to go this game really didn't have to be that close oh like a six point difference the jazz looked like they were going to run away with it in double digits but they got into the bonus i think in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter and there was just this brutal run of sequences where they were fouling 30 to 100 feet from their own basket and giving the mavericks just free free throws and they clawed their way back in the game i think a travel from mitchell one or two other silly turnovers brought this game within one or two points i think it was 88 87 and then 92 91 for the jazz at different points throughout that game but in the clutch moments the experience gaps between these two teams showed uh, mike conley and royce o'neill two players who were really quiet offensively for the jazz all game both had big moments in the last four or five minutes um, conley with a couple nice shots Royce O'Neal getting his own rebound, restarting the play and putting a dagger three-pointer away to take it. Whereas the Mavs, Brunson, Dinwiddie had been tough, resilient all game, but they just didn't have anything magical left in their back pocket in the fourth quarter. And ultimately that clutch difference, the final factor that put Jazz over for the win. Uh, that's all I've got on this game. We'll move along to the Timberwolves Grizzlies and I'll let you lead because I need 30 seconds to refresh. This was the series that we were very excited for in terms of young up and coming talent, two teams we thought in similar spots in the development curve, but one with a lot more depth and probably some better coaching and just a really, really amazing series from or season from the Memphis Grizzlies, right? They're winning a ton of games with and without John Morant. And uh, they were looking to keep that rolling coming into the playoffs, even though they are relatively unproven still uh, in this playoff format. So are the Timberwolves. But what we do know from the season is that this is a very favorable matchup for Minnesota. Anthony Edwards is maybe one of the only explosive guys in the league that can stay with Morant uh, in that sort of matchup, right? And on the other end, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone in the league that can keep in front of Anthony Edwards. We already talked about that in the play-in game. Carl Anthony Towns, it's a really tough matchup for Steven Adams. And Jaron Jackson Jr., how awesome was he in this game? Seven blocks, I believe, but he gives up some size and some strength to cat. And so it's a difficult matchup for Memphis to handle. And then you finish it up with D'Angelo Russell, who always seems to have a pretty solid performance against the Grizzlies. And so if you're Memphis there, it's a tough matchup, but you are the better team 
and in front of their home crowd, they're unable to get it done. And Anthony Edwards is spectacular. He looks like he's not afraid. He must have played in some big football games in high school because he seemed uh, well, well accustomed to the crowd and was eating it up and put on a spectacular performance once again. That's two kind of do-or-die games, playoff-style games that we've now seen him in, and he's been up to the challenge for both of them. Yeah, this by far my favorite game of all four we watched. Uh, the Jazz Mavericks, the all similarly tight down the stretch, but just tight, these guys can't make a shot versus tight, these guys can't miss a shot. I'll go with the latter most times. Um, yeah, you, the factors you talked about, Edwards, where he just always takes that shot, maybe the selection not where you want it to be. Um, but he's still given that blank check, that license to take those shots because that confidence is so important and clearly he's a player who thrives on it. Uh, a lot of tough deep threes off the dribble. I think he went four for 11 from them, which you'll take that. Oh, um, just one or two of them, honestly, that I was a bit like, yeah, about this selection, but the rest were all in rhythm, decent timing, huge for them. Towns, his first foul came late in the third quarter, maybe even the fourth. Um, really saw the discipline there, bouncing back and offensively, like you said. Adams, not a great matchup for him. Jaron Jackson, seven blocks, but also five fouls. Uh, so the Timberwolves feasting off some holes there where Jackson had to step back. And then the depth scoring coming through for the rest. Beasley was great. I, Patrick Beverly's offense really impressed me. Oh, I think 10 points, 50% <laughs> shooting, some nice playmaking as well, and just a lot of good, smart looks. I think with two teams who are relatively inexperienced at playoff basketball, him having a little less adjustment to do for the pace and intensity, just he was a little bit more of a fish in water where everyone else was trying to adjust and acclimate to their environment. And he just seemed to have a really smooth night whenever the ball was in his hands. Uh, then D'Angelo Russell, the worst Timberwolf by far, the worst starter, but with that much offensive production coming from the rest of the team, that's okay. But the clutch factor still always there. He had a great deep contested three, like four minutes left in the fourth quarter that wasn't a dagger, but kept the breathing room there and never let the Grizzlies get too, too close. I'm just talking about the offense for each team because there was very little defense in this game and I was here for it. So that was the Timberwolves and 130 points. That'll get it done most nights for you. Um, they took care of the ball pretty well, except for a second quarter that saw 10 turnovers, but just seven turnovers over the other three quarters. Uh, in the second half, that's where it matters a lot more. So they'll survive that. The Grizzlies, Jamarant, just superstar level performance, 32 points. I swear half of those coming off dunks, it felt like. And then uh, Desmond Bain, uh, shoot not Clark. Uh, this is the problem with watching Brandon four Clark? games. No, <laughs> names start to slip. Brooks. Uh, yeah, a Canadian kid. Yeesh. The first name I forget all games, a Canadian. That's... Uh... <laughs> Anywho. 
they go toe to toe, fell a bit behind in the first quarter, but caught up. Um, Jaw being on the floor, Jaw being off the floor, as amazing as he was, it didn't really seem to make a difference for this team's offense, which is just a sign of this deep, uh, connected team that we've been praising, especially in this second half of the season. But Jaw did slow down in that fourth. I think he was just like one for four or something from the field, hit, hit a couple of free throws. But could just the whistles got a bit less loose as he went in on those explosions for contact. If the defenders kept their arms up, kept the body going, didn't slam into him and managed to get mostly ball with the hands, the refs weren't calling it. Ja wasn't really able to adjust to that well. And the offense just slowed down a little. Um, a bit of couple sloppy offensive rebounds given to the Timberwolves down the clutch and it goes their way but of all the series that happened Saturday this is the game that I have the least takeaways from about how the rest of the series is going to go other than it's going to be fun I think this is going to be a real back and forth like clawing slugfest and on this one the Timberwolves just happen to come out on top yeah I think the overreaction here is that Minnesota could swing into the favored position in this series, but now that they've stolen home court advantage, but I think Memphis, again, still the better team, and in a seven-game series, that's going to win out, but I could see this one going deep. Yeah, I, I think there will be nights where Edwards isn't quite as hot. Towns gets into a little more trouble. A secondary guy for the Grizzlies, a Melton is bigger, a Clark gets more. Adams gets some offensive rebounds. The Timberwolves really held him off there and that'll swing back and forth. But this is, I haven't looked at Sunday's games yet, but this might be the best series of the first round. Moving along here. <laughs> to the series that we had encountered and chosen as our number one series, obviously close to home, but this one is, is a big time overreaction uh, moment. People forget in 2019, all the games in Philadelphia were absolute blowouts for a much stronger and battle-tested Raptors team. I was not surprised to see Philadelphia take the home crowd tide and put on an avalanche against this Raptors team. Tyrese Maxey was phenomenal with 39 points, and he was hitting all of his open shots and just a lightning bug in transition. But underratedly, the most important player that the Sixers need to be that secondary scoring is Tobias Harris. And 26 from Tobias means that the Sixers are going to win every game in this series. The Raptors can take away and beat as much as you can, can take away Harden as much as you can. But if Maxi and Harris are going to combine for 65 points, it's not much you can do at that point. And so it's a tough one to swallow, but that's why it's a series and you play all the games and it's just one. Uh, the way that we saw it, Max, you and I talked about this off the air, but it's going to have to be slugging it out in a game seven on the road with the pressure tight and you just hope the ball bounces your way like it did in 2019. That's really the only way I see the Raptors pulling this one out. And I don't think it's an overreaction to say that Philadelphia is the better team in this series. It's just about what they can come up with in terms of adjustments to, to try and mix things up. 
And if Scotty's not around, their chances go down greatly. But we'll see what they can what they can cook up for game two. Yeah, I, I think the Raptors a little outsized, but not outmatched, not completely out of their depth in this series. Mm-hmm. They just have to dot all their I's, cross their all their T's and play more locked in, better, more consistent basketball than their opponent plays. And tonight, both teams were about even in that regard. And that favors the 76ers for sure. Um, I, I think Embiid did as much damage as you can expect him to do. I think Harden's similarly there, though I'd like to see a little more tightness on the three-point shooting from him. But yeah, Maxi and uh, Harris, far too damaging. As a team, the 76ers going 16 of 32 on the three-point shots just need to adjust how they deal with the gravity of Harden and Embiid. One, two steps really killing them. I noticed Siakam, I swear, four or five times it felt like a step too late on the closeout. If I had to single one guy out offensively, I think that's almost as good as we're going to do, except Gary Trent. Um, I think two from 11, which we talked about how he does tend to do that in some games, and everyone's going to need to be at their best, and offensively I think they all were except Gary I actually have the least to say about this game because I, I mix of this it is just... you, you burn the tape and you move on that's yeah. really it yep all right and to close out Friday night the Death Star dubs are back Steph Curry coming off the bench Clay Thompson lighting it up Draymond facilitating but the story of this one is 30 from Jordan Poole, man. G-leaguer last year, now maybe most improved player, has been phenomenal all season. And you, you think the spotlight's going to scare you uh, in, in game one of the playoffs against the reigning MVP, maybe back-to-back MVP? And he just cooked, uh, pulling out all the moves, not afraid to slash and take it to the rim. That's the thing. Jokic, great player not necessarily the rim protector that puts the fear of God in you. And Jordan Poole was attacking and met when you have all sorts of spacing on this Warriors roster, it allows a guy like that to take it to the cup. And he had a couple of heat checks, a couple of deep threes, really, really great stuff from Jordan. And that's, that's funny because Kaminga and Wiseman were supposed to be these two top 10 picks that the Warriors had as their guys that they were going to keep the run going but ends up being their uh their I think it was the 30th pick way back a couple years ago out of Michigan that ends up developing into maybe the leader of this team for the next 10 years awesome to see from Poole and I guess that's going to be my big game one overreaction is we saw it all year from him but to do it on the playoffs now in game one like that special stuff and stylistically guys like Kuminga guys like Wiseman drafted to win now complement the strengths that this Warriors team already has whereas Poole looking like a carbon copy of Steph Curry last night which gives Steve Kerr his own set of headaches about how to put this lineup and make it work offensively and defensively together particularly defensively 
But at the same time, that's a pretty good problem to have when you go nine for 13 for 30 points and five from seven. Like you said, some ridiculous heat check shots from depth. Um, I mean, we know this Nuggets team is going to do its best defensively, but it's going to struggle. There's going to be holes to take advantage of. And like you said, the Death Star dubs, um, I mean, Draymond, nine assists, fantastic. Clay Thompson. We talk often about these players who are, it's like, oh, what a miracle. They're healthy just in time for playoffs. They're ready to go just for playoffs. But with Clay, we've seen the benefit of getting healthy well before playoffs, having the time to work yourself back up into your game. And he's at a point that is as much, I think, as you could hope for as Warriors fan. The three-point shooting, really solid. Just another set, like, lethal weapon for this team that the offense was just nonstop. And on the other end, it was just, can Jokic single-handedly keep up with this offense? And for the first half, he did. And it was quite entertaining. He seemed unstoppable. But as we got into the third quarter, as the minutes ran up, as they just punished him on his own defensive end, made him run, made him go into bodies, the efficiency started to drop. The balls stopped falling quite the same way. The playmaking was never crazy on display that night. They did a good job having hands in the passing lanes, not giving anything too easy there, not being too obvious with their double teams. They actually held off on the double teams quite a lot. A lot of playoff basketball, it seems like it's been double team their best player from the start. But I found it pretty interesting, the Nuggets. I think Jokic just such a fantastic passer that makes it too easy for him. They want to make him sweat for his first 10, for his first 15 points before they really start making him think that double team game. And just the score, I guess, a 3-6, 16-point win, but this one was never really in question from about five minutes into the third quarter. And it's going we knew this Nuggets team was weak, missing some key pieces. Jokic has to put the mountain on his back, excuse me, the world on his back and climb the mountain. Uh, on take one, that's looking like a pretty off, impossible task against this loaded an offense. It's just too much for one guy to match. Will we see Jamal Murray? I don't. Doubt but it. they're talking about mental hurdles too. Which yeah. it, it's not like a oh the doctor just needs to clear me and mm-hmm. I'll be good to go. And this is the team. This is the building he got the injury in. I. I think it's a big ask to see him and see him at like difference making contribution levels. So then it's tough. The the matchup that the Nuggets wanted offensively, of course, is the Jokic because he's going to have his way against the lack of size of Golden State. But what a lot of people didn't factor into in this series is this is not a team that runs pick and roll where Jokic can sit and play in that paint and hedge and, uh, drop down he's got to chase guys all the way around because of their free-flowing offense and the cutting and the perimeter centric movement that he's gonna have to close out on shooters and then retreat to someone cutting back door so a lot more energy expended on the defensive end than maybe some of the other teams that they would have gone up against and i think denver's in trouble big time yeah i think he'll steal one or two games like a 40 point performance maybe they force draymond to take a lot of threes and he has an off night but it's going to be hard to take four 
All right. Miami and Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty much all the basketball we have time to talk about, but I uh, wanted to say an awesome performance by Trey Young against the Cavaliers in the do or die playing game on Thursday night. The logo three and the shimmy and waving goodbye to the crowd. A villain that he loves embracing the role, but Miami was having none of that today uh, as they throttled Atlanta. And we'll see that I, I can see the series going that way. That's why I was last on my list, but maybe we'll see if Atlanta can bounce back. And then the game of the weekend that is going to get all the talk is this Celtics next game one, where I think this was it for Brooklyn. I could see Boston going for a sweep, quite frankly. This was Brooklyn's best punch. Boston ate it and came out with a game-winning layup by Jason Tatum. Unbelievable. Marcus Smart, this is the development, the character development that we've been waiting for for years. The old Marcus Smart would have chucked that without a second thought. He pump fakes, finds Tatum cutting. Tatum with the great acrobatic spin move and finish. Uh, and the Celtics really had to dig in. They got stops when they needed to, even though Kyrie was on one in that fourth quarter. 39 for him, he finished up with. KD, not his best game, but honestly, like he was struggling to score in against like Al Horford, against Jason Tatum. Um, doesn't look like he has that same low buy ability, at least right now. That was the biggest takeaway for me in this game was Boston's defense. I mean, they've been great all year. But the individual defending in NBA is really hard to do now with the rules favored towards the offense. And they are still able to stick to guys quite well. Kyrie still has the ability to blow by some guys with his quickness, but everyone else on that Nets team, it doesn't feel like they can get by anyone. And it's going to, it's going to be tough for them to score unless Katie and Kyrie really have like 50 plus points a night between the two of them. Um, and that was Brooklyn best chance to really swing this series and i think they're in big big trouble now yeah I, I think if you're the nets getting it tied going into the last two minutes is as good as you can hope for you're not going to put the celtics out of the game five ten minutes left to go in the fourth <clears throat> tie game going in Kyrie hits an impossible three uh, that's as much as you can ask for but then on the other end, defensively, they just make a stupid effort where the Celtics do something they haven't gone to too much all game. They space the floor, give Jalen Brown a clean run at Bruce Brown with no one there to help everyone in the corners. Brown taking on Brown easy. And then the Celtics need a stop and they get a stop. Uh, you mentioned Horford's defense. He does a fantastic job locking up Kevin Durant a bit slower but he uses the strength advantage to let Duran get no momentum nothing going forward and then that last play after they get the much needed stop just a thing of beauty uh, I said to you before we got on this pod the Celtics needed a stop they needed a bucket they got both and just them being a better team means they're more times often than not gonna have the ability to do that when they need it and that's why they're gonna win this series there you have it. Some game one takeaways and perhaps some overreactions, but some fantastic basketball already. We have so much more to go and I cannot wait. 
Um, we'll watch the end of this tightly contested Chicago-Milwaukee matchup here in the fourth quarter. We will then get to tune in for Phoenix and New Orleans. Sorry to the Pelicans, but I see the net margin of this series being maybe 60-plus points. Um, and, yeah, we'll just keep dialing it in and, and bringing you our thoughts uh, at, when the next pod rolls around. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoy the NBA action. We hope you we enjoyed your uh, Easter weekend. And uh, we'll, we'll be chatting to you sometime this week. Looking forward to it very, very much. And Max, <laughs> I'm glad that you've had your couple days to work off. Got to watch some basketball. And uh, yeah, always great to talk to you, my friend. You as well. I'm sure the next three four weeks of this pod every time is just gonna look like all right who had the five hours to like sit on the chair and go through league pass today we'll be trading off the hot seat for the in-depth game analysis enjoyed doing it today uh parting congratulations to stefano Pass for winning the monte carlo 1000 open that's his first win of the season a player who won it last year went to the finals in roland garros certainly had a strong clay season looking forward to more from him that's your tennis talk for this pod and this is sports next door signing out